0: This is episode eight. I'm Chris Motz, and this is Faith in Politics. South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy, providing explanations of how church teaching applies to the issues of our day. On this show, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and explore those principles Help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Our topic today is unity in a polarized society, something that a lot of people have been talking about, a lot of people have been interested in. Even as our country is in the midst of a, a coronavirus pandemic, uh, politics goes on. How do we have unity in a polarized society? I'm really excited that joining us on our show today is Father Tyler Matson, a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Welcome. Thanks for joining us, Father.
1: Yeah, thank you, Chris. Good to be here.
0: Maybe before we get started, you could just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. So, Father Tyler Matson from Sioux Falls originally, and have been ordained a priest for coming on three years, and currently serve here in Sioux Falls at a parish and also at our Catholic Junior High.
0: And you also um, have have spent a number of uh, years walking with, uh, as a member of the Focolare movement, which is a bit of the impetus mm-hmm. uh for our talk today, unity in a polarized society yeah. unity just being a real focus and charism of mm-hmm. of that new movement within the church mm-hmm. so if if you could you know what is what is it that you've come to learn
1: mm-hmm.
0: about unity in politics particularly?
1: well, one thing I've learned, Chris, is that unity in some ways and and this is something that that has come out of my experience in the Focolare movement, but unity could be described as the dream of God. The dream of God. What do I mean by that? Well, think about Jesus the night before he dies. He prays to the Father and he says, may they all be one. So in a sense, Jesus as the God-man has this dream for his disciples of, of unity. And I think that that unity, of course, means primarily unity with God, but it also means unity with one another. And I think politics... Is ground zero in many ways, especially in our own nation, of, of practicing this unity, this, this oneness with each other, so that we can move our society along and, and have that oneness, that unity with God, too.
0: Well, and it, politics can be a place, too, where our fissures or our, our broken, brokenness or disagreements mm-hmm. kind of get played out mm-hmm. writ large in a way that's very public and everybody can see, you know, when. Um, when there's a disagreement in my household, yeah. it's, it's just there. But mm-hmm. politics, is it's just it's out there for everybody to see. And I understand that uh, Focolare has kind of a history, mm. r- really, of attentiveness to politics.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Focolare is this, it's a new movement in the church, an ecclesial movement, and it was started in 1943 by this Italian woman, Chiara Lubick. And as her and some of her first followers were kind of starting this new movement, seeking to follow the Lord and live the gospel, they encountered uh, this man who was actually a member of the Italian parliament. And this is the time right after the Second World War. So they're kind of rebuilding Italy. They're trying to figure out, you know, what type of nation will Italy be? And this one, this man wanted to be a saint. And he was really wondering, is it possible to be a politician and a saint at the same time? He had this desire to be holy, but he also had a desire to engage in the world. Well, when he met Chiara and the Focolare movement, he said, "This is it. Like this, this is the way for me to become a saint and to be engaged in politics." And he ended up becoming one of the co-founders of the Focolare movement. Uh, He was—he used to be the. Uh, the director of the Vatican Library, then he was a politician, so he was very connected. But from the very beginning, Chiara knew, you know, unity, this charism of unity, that's something that could probably actually find a home and could thrive even in politics. And f- they had this whole sort of subsection of the Folkalari movement that is all about unity in politics and policy. So allowing politicians and policymakers to really. Try to strive for unity, and that's at you know different political parties, uh, both sides of the aisle. How can we live unity together?
0: Well, it's that, such an interesting time historically too, because you know Italy is is different than our own country. It it experienced a unification uh, late late eighteen um, hundreds, and then post war, all of Europe is in disarray. Mm-hmm. N- new political parties are are coming to the fore, and they're really having to sort through how do we how do we put things back together? Lots of different ideas out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the the church to, for the Holy Spirit to really manifest Himself through the lives of of these holy people, mm-hmm. um, is really is really striking. Kiara, um, who I should mention, servant of Gia, uh, servant of God, Kiara Lubick, mm-hmm. the cause for her canonization is open. Even had thoughts about how this could play out in international politics. Is that yeah true?
1: Yeah, that's true. And this is something that I think, I think it's, it, it'll sound radical, but when you really think about it, it's like, oh, this is actually so basic. So you kind of look at the gospel, the message of Christ, and you say, you know, what's really central to that message? And, and you could point to a lot of different things, but in some ways we know that, that Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as, as I have loved you. And in other places, he kind of fleshes that out, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. And Chiara said, Well, what if that was true for every area of life? That, that we can truly love like Christ, that we can love other people as ourselves. So internationally, she said, What if leaders of nations loved other nations like their own? And what if they approach you know international policy, diplomacy in that way, where they said, for example, you know, we're the United States, but what if we loved Canada as if it were the United States? And when we did made decisions in policy and laws, what if, what if that was our lens? Uh, and, and I think sh- what the hope would be then is this like imagine how much peace and not just like a, a sterile peace, but like a true like vibrant peace could exist in this world. If the starting point of how we interact with each other as nations is how can I love you like I love myself because that's how Christ told us to love
0: so this is maybe a little bit challenging. It seems that um, within our nation we're we're perhaps entering a new era of what has been called nationalism, mm-hmm. maybe even protectionism as we as we're looking at uh, economic relationships and as Catholics, we know that there is an appropriate proper love of place mm-hmm. You know, uh, patriotism. I'm told is is sort of a daughter virtue of piety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's good for us to love our own native land. Is are these two things in conflict?
1: Sure. Well, I think maybe one way to to think about that would be to say, let's just say, individual to individual, I'm I'm called to love you, Chris, as I love myself, and there would be a way of understanding that where I would say, okay, that means I have to sort of like totally negate myself. I don't matter. I don't have any dignity. I'm just going to only think about you. And that's not right. Really, to love you as myself, I have to recognize my own personality my own uniqueness, dignity. And then from that place of like, yes, I'm actually deeply loved by God and I'm unique and I, and I have uh, all these things to offer, then I can love you because I first loved myself. And I think the same thing could apply to patriotism yes, you actually have to love your nation and to have a great desire for your nation to thrive, to flourish, to provide for its people, to be the best nation possible. But then from that place, you say, that does not mean that I have to somehow be in competition with other nations. Uh, Just like I don't have to be in competition with you, I can actually love you and work with you in order to bring out out greater good. So I I don't think they're in a contradiction or competition. And I think that actually, like, to be a patriot of your nation, like that's a starting point. And then you can say, actually, because I love my country so much and I can look at these people from a different country, and, like you're from you're from your country, and you probably love your country too. And like, how can we now work from that place, a starting p- place that we both love our countries? We both want our countries to do well let's let's not be in competition let's let's thrive
0: as as you're speaking now i'm I'm reminded of St John Paul the second, who has as Pope was really known for, he was a Polish Pope. Mm-hmm. Now, he loved Poland, yeah, right? There was nothing that was going to make him anything but Polish.
1: Mm-hmm. Yet he's
0: also this, this uh, pontiff who traveled the world, mm-hmm. um, really lifting people up in whatever particular country or culture they lived in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's an example of how we can see that these, these two things can coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't sacrifice who I am love my brother right. uh, whether my brother is next door or, or or around the world one of the other one of the other questions that comes to mind as we're talking about unity is is just in, in politics we've got our arguments mm-hmm. so when when we're pursuing unity does that mean does that mean we just sort of don't disagree ever <laughs>
1: right yeah well you know I think that's such a good question because I think when people maybe would hear the word unity, or, or I would say a word that's closely related to unity, which is dialogue, people can often sort of go, ooh, well that means, you know, that just means that you don't ever stand up for yourself or you just sort of like water everything down, lowest common denominator. And actually it doesn't mean that at all. So if I actually want to stand in front of somebody, let's just say, let's just for example, let's just say, Uh, I'm a Democrat, and I'm talking to a Republican, or vice versa. And we just really disagree on something. But I can say, as a Christian, this man across from me is my brother, Uh, maybe, maybe a brother in Christ, maybe just part of the human race. Okay. But when I stand in front of them, I can say, how do I love them? I can love them by listening to them, by trying to put myself in their shoes, so to speak. Where are they coming from? Why might they think this? What good are they trying to accomplish through this viewpoint? And I can do all of those things without giving up what I believe. Uh, but what that what that allows me to do is actually to receive somebody and to to understand somebody as as they really are. And then they'll feel received and heard and loved. And then that's going to open up a possibility for them to say, well, what about you? What do you think? And then I can actually say, well, here's what I think. And then that's dialogue, and and neither of us are compromising our beliefs, but we're actually engaging in a conversation, saying this is this is the truth that I think is 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 important in the situation, and I think actually like from that place you actually might find a middle ground where you can move forward and actually enact positive change, but it doesn't come from me saying well I'll just pretend like I don't believe this and we can just like I can just drop this in order to get some po- sort of policy passed. So it. it-
0: we don't need to to water down or completely ignore those principles that mm-hmm. that constitute who we are as Catholics. Mm-hmm. But it has more to do. What you're saying is sort of this universal brotherhood, this recognition mm-hmm. of the other person as, in in a real way, a brother, a sister. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the same way that we might be with other baptized. But mm-hmm. um, I I love this I love I love this concept of universal brotherhood. And I I can't help Um, but see, too, that this is perhaps a a Christian introduction uh, into just the thought of of mankind. One of my favorite um, writers, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, has got this great little book called uh, The Meaning of Christian Brotherhood, Mm. and he draws out this point that we have all these pairs of brothers throughout Scripture, Mm. and our job as Christians is to be the brother in relationship with the Father— and our whole task is to bring the separated brother into relationship with the father. So yeah, we, as the brother, have something mm-hmm. that doesn't exist between uh, the, the non-baptized. But our mission is to is to really perceive him as a separated brother. Right. And this this universal brotherhood. This is a, even a term that that Kiara used. Is uh, is that right?
1: Yeah. So universal. This idea of universal brotherhood or, or universal fraternity, in some ways. Broadly speaking, that's the goal of the Focolari movement. The main goal of the movement is to be a saint. But how, how do we become saints? For the Focolari, it is through this idea of let's, let's establish this world of universal brotherhood and this universal fraternity. And people might hear that and kind of, they I don't know, what, if, they've, if they've heard different ideas about what that might mean, they might sort of cringe a little bit. But again, it doesn't mean that I suddenly stop being an American and, you know, this idea of like global citizenship, I think there's truth there, but it doesn't mean like, okay, you know, one world government or anything like that. Like this idea of universal brotherhood, universal fraternity actually means love, brotherhood. These things don't have borders. And the fact that we're part of the human race actually disproves the fact that we're made for relationship with each other. Like you said, whether it's we're brothers in baptism or you're a separated brother or sister. Uh, but but regardless, I'm made for relationship with you. And the more that we can recognize that and then treat each other accordingly, mm-hmm. to treat each other accordingly, to love in those concrete ways, even somebody that maybe I really disagree with, mm-hmm. that's what's going to bring about unity and, and universal fraternity. You
0: know, there's this uh, famous example of people who um, just vehemently disagreed with one another, um, but then had fun with each other, uh, now deceased Justice Antonin Scalia mm. and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who mm. just um, went after each other in their opinions, but then e- then in the evening would, you know, uh, go for dinner or go to the opera or they would – there was a true affection there mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and it's, we can look at opinions and, and have our own thoughts on them, but that's just a real witness that – Um, as the church's representative, as the bishop's representative to the legislature in South Dakota, I'm grateful that our legislators, our government officials, they, um, I don't know how how much they are like best friends with each other, but they, they're civil. They get along with one another. They, I think there is a true affection there. Sure. Um,
1: sure. And I think actually like the beautiful thing about that though, is like when, when there is that affection, sort of this, you know, uh, maybe, maybe a family spirit would be a way of saying it. mm. Then you can actually be a lot more productive, and you can actually bring a lot more good uh, when when there's that mutual trust as a starting place. Rather than butting heads, I'm not going to talk with you, I'm not going to engage with you. Then things become at a standstill, and and maybe you feel entitled, like why stood up for what I believe, but then nothing changes. And uh, and I think the whole point of uh, one of the whole points of politics is that let let let's try to like actually. Bring about something beautiful and good in this world while we can, and and if we're not willing to maybe have that spirit of universal fraternity, th- then nothing's going to change.
0: I I can't help but wonder too if um, one of the reasons for people involved in political life uh, to view this proposition with suspicion would just be uh like doesn't it require vulnerability?
1: Mm. Is that
0: one of the reasons, you think, or, or what are some of the reasons that, that there can be real obstacles to this? Sure.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the vulnerability is, is, a, is a big thing where, you know, it's human nature. Nobody likes to admit that they're wrong or nobody likes to admit that maybe they can see things from a different perspective. So I think it takes a certain vulnerability and humility in order to, to truly enter into this dialogue well. Because really, the point, you have to go into it saying, actually, maybe there is room in my heart for for a change or for seeing things differently. I think that's part of it. I think another thing is, you know, especially I think what I see in, in our current political culture in America is a certain cynicism that this is even a possibility. And I think maybe somebody could hear this idea of, you know, of universal fraternity, you know, bringing Christian love into politics and say, well, that sounds like a utopia. Yeah. Well, that sounds impossible. I mean, I mean, have you watched the news? Have you seen the way that people treat each other? But again, that's why at the beginning I said this is the dream of God, and I don't think God would have would have asked for this if it wasn't possible. So maybe it seems like a utopia, but that doesn't mean that we can't try to work for it.
0: Well, and this image that comes to mind is as you use that word utopia is the lion laying down with the lamb. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an image in Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, I believe, yeah. Um, which, like, that doesn't happen, <laughs> but. But like we're as Christians, we want to dream God's dreams, don't we? Like, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. we want to perceive everything differently and go about our business differently. And the thing that really just leapt up into my heart as you use this word cynicism, mm-hmm. it's like, how do we overcome this? Conversion, mm-hmm. you know, conversion to just which is something that's not something just for non-Christians, just for the baptized. like that's for me. Right. I need conversion. Right. Every day. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the previous guests that was on on the show, we were visiting about the impeachment of the president, which happened last December, which just at this point in time, it feels like ancient history. Right. You know, where nobody's talking about that anymore, exactly. even though it was monumental. And I asked the question, like, what do you, are there any issues you see out there that What's going to be the impetus for a greater unity mm. um, in our country? I was uh, even just reflecting on that question. I was thinking, oh, maybe, um, maybe this grave crisis that we're facing with uh, coronavirus might be a cut. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I was just watching C-SPAN and probably shouldn't have been. But watching <laughs> C-SPAN on the floor of the Senate and mm-hmm. and there's kind of you know it's what we expect. Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's in your heart? What do you think about what we might? Um, see in the future of our country that could be a real cause for this conversion, this, this movement unto unity?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a great question because I think, I think cynicism is so common, so prevalent. And I think it's easy to get stuck there. And I think even if we just see glimpses of hope, I think that will give people enough energy to go forward. So like even even just currently with this coronavirus pandemic, even though on some levels, maybe, maybe higher up, we still see the same divisions and the same butting heads and things become political. But I think on a grassroots level, I've really seen this idea with coronavirus that, okay, Suddenly, it's not so important if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. You're a human person, and this affects you because we're human. And something like a virus, for example, doesn't care your political party and doesn't care what country you're from. Uh, it just cares that you're human and it can come and, and feed on you because you're the host, right? So I think like even, even the ways that I've seen people come together recently with this coronavirus and say, what are some things we can do together uh, to help? That gives me hope. That gives me hope. And that might not be on the highest levels all the time, but it's certainly grassroots. I think people can look at this and say, okay, well, maybe we don't need a pandemic to live like this. (laughs) Maybe we can actually take the principles we're learning now about uh, loving each other and like to love you, I'm going to stay home and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to get takeout instead of go to the restaurant. And these are like small things, but people are starting to recognize that we actually are connected to each other and that, the things that we do affect other people again regardless of political party and i think and I, I would just hope that like this experience would would drive us once this is over to say okay if we can work together on this thing at least on the grassroots level let's work together in other things too
0: you know and i've been just so engrossed in this conversation that i've, I've neglected if you're just joining us this is chris motes with father tyler Matson. Faith in politics, and we are discussing unity in a, in a time of polarization. Kind of just talking about uh, political unity, the call as Christians to seek unity, and what it even might mean during a, a time of, of this pandemic. Um, we've, we've got a few minutes left uh, to continue the conversation, and Father, I know you've got some like kind of great thoughts. And I sometimes I tend to just think sort of from from big mm-hmm. to little, small, uh, large to mm-hmm. small. What is like the theme? What is like the big takeaway
1: mm-hmm.
0: for people that have been listening to this conversation?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you're a Christian, if you're a Catholic, I, I, I would want you to know that actually by you being a good Catholic and, and what I mean by that is like, I'm, I'm truly seeking to grow in holiness. I'm seeking to love, to love God, to love my neighbor if if you take that seriously and become a, a good Catholic and, and a better Catholic, you're actually going to become a better American, and you're going to make America better. Uh, and I think like that for me gives gives me a lot of hope because I might again I might look at sort of you know, I might watch watching CSPAN or something and say oh my gosh like what what could possibly be done here? Okay, if I go to my neighbor or to my coworker who I always disagree with on politics and I say, how can I love this person as myself? Not only am I becoming holier, but I'm actually becoming a better citizen and I'm actually helping my nation. And I, th- that would be, that would be my, my big takeaway.
0: Amen. I, I love that. I just, um, as I've shared with you previously, I just have this, I have the same conviction that what our country like really, really needs is saints. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no replacement. For saints, mm-hmm. um, even in the life of our country, which is, you know, when people point out the challenges. Um, we live in a pluralistic society. Christendom, as we once knew it, is now over with. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, like the urgent, the urgent task remains uh, for each one of us individually, to just to be holy, um, and that even uh, that that like that can't help but have an effect. Mm-hmm. on the country in which we live like it's um it's not like a self-contained you can't isolate holiness
1: right um right and i would and i would say too just to add to that quickly is is no matter how divided we think our country is and how hopeless we think it is i think we can always go back to the reality that the moment in time where there was the most division was when jesus was on the cross and he was experiencing the sin of the world. Like he experienced division into his very core. And yet he loved the father and brought about unity on the cross and then the resurrection. So I think even, even like as we seek, like, what does it mean to be a saint now? What does it mean to be a saint in politics, a, a saint in, in a polarized country? It means, I mean, that's that's living out the crucifixion in, in our flesh now and and to recognize that if Christ can bring about unity out of that division mm. then certainly we as his followers as the body of Christ on earth now uh we, we can continue to bring about unity even in this division in our country
0: yeah it's i mean that speaks to a great point that we often we want to we want to live like disintegrated lives mm-hmm. where we put okay I'm a citizen over here I'm a I'm a catholic over here I'm a worker over here I'm a family member over here mm. But how do we reconcile that? Well, Christ gives us the example of integration, of like sort right. of, um, of sanctifying, coming to sanctify everything. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: This was episode eight of Faith in Politics. I've been speaking with Father Tyler Matson about how to have unity in a polarized society. If you've enjoyed this episode, let us know. Go to www.sdcatholicconference.org and drop us a note. You can click on Contact Us and and stay in touch. Let us know what you thought of this show, some of our other shows, and let us know what you want to hear. Um, In addition to a lot of the the great information we've got out on the website, sdcatholicconference.org, about past legislative sessions, that's where we've got all of our audio content. If you want to go back and jump into the archives, um, and I'm also just really interested in what you want to hear about in the future, especially as we're all, especially as we're all on um, lockdown, so to speak. We're kind of hunkering down with uh, COVID-19. We, we we're trying to get you the content that you want to hear when it comes to faith and politics. So until next time, I'm Chris Moats. Thanks for joining us.